Did you know that we all carry around a yardstick? They're usually invisible, you can't see them. Most people don't carry around one like this. This is actually four feet. I don't know why, but this is not a yard, but uh, it serves the purpose of the illustration this morning anyway. And we carry around a yardstick and um, we measure things with our yardsticks. We, we, hold, we hold them up and we measure what's right and wrong in life and, and what we like and what we don't like. We measure people with our yardsticks that we carry around. When I met Andrea, I held up my yardstick and I thought, wow, I would like to associate with her. And uh, I did. And you did the same with your spouse, whether you realized it or not. You held up your yardstick and you made a judgment about whether you wanted to associate with that person or that significant other that's in your life. You do it with all kinds of things. You do it with politicians. You do it with your clothes, the entertainment that you decide to watch. You're, you're carrying a ruler by which you judge what you will allow in and out of your life. And with everything... Uh, we do this. We, we judge. What am I going to see? What am I going to watch? Who am I going to associate with? And much of the time when we use our yardsticks like this, it leads to pride. Either it's the pride of, of self-sufficiency, that we think we're better than others, that like we've arrived, or sometimes it leads to the pride of self-deprecation and self-loathing. Like we don't think we measure up to others as well. Often we measure ourselves with yardsticks that we don't feel like we quite meet the bill, like we fit the standard. And these yardsticks are largely unintentional. We don't think about them. We don't usually uh, purposefully consider how we're measuring things. We just get them. We learn what's normal from our surroundings, how marriages should look, and how our lives should be lived by the surroundings that we're with. We learn about relationships, especially with the opposite sex, through uh, the, the yardsticks that the world hands us and tells us measure with this. And so we, we go about carrying these yardsticks based on what the world has given to us. And we share many of our measures with our broader culture, like a focus on celebrity and entertainment or loose sexual immorality. And we get some from those closer to us, like our work and our family and the friends we choose to associate with. And... The trouble with our yardsticks is that they're corrupted by sin. We carry one around, and this one's not a yard anyway, but usually our, you know, our yardsticks are broken. I don't know if I could break this one. It's kind of plastic, I think. I needed a, um, there it goes. I needed a, a wood one, but um, we carry around a broken yardstick because we've been handed broken yardsticks in our lives by the people that we're around and, and by our own thoughts and our own inclinations, and our own sinful nature. Our yardsticks, our measures of judgment are broken by sin, uh, and, and they, they lead to a wrong way of measuring life. We evaluate our choices in ways that lead to sin and brokenness and conflict and division and pride, and ultimately, they lead to judgment by God. But when God sent Jesus, he provided a new measure. And yes, Jesus lived without sin, and so he left us an example to follow, but the news is even better than that because you were never gonna live up to Jesus' measure anyway. The news is this, that Jesus was crucified to save you, that he died on the cross, and the good news is of the crucified Savior. Last week we saw how Paul began to deal with division in the church in Corinth and the people 
were divided over personalities and preferences and pride, the things that they wanted and liked. They'd separated themselves over those they claimed as leaders, Paul, Apollos, Peter, um, Jesus. And the primary means of healing that division, Paul said, would be the cross. And he began to point to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, where he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with the wor- words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And today, in the passage we're going to look at, he's going to continue that thought and to point to the cross as the answer, the power of God to transform and as a new measure for our lives. God has taken the broken yardstick out of your hands and he's replaced it with a new way to measure life. He's replaced it with a cross. He's given you that by which you can judge life now. And it might not be obvious to us why we should measure the life or measure our lives by the cross because the cross, um, the cross is a really strange way to measure life, at least by the standards of our culture. It might not be obvious to us why it's so strange since we tend to clean the cross up. We stylize it. We put it on walls. We wear it like gold and silver around our necks and rappers wear it and pop artists wear it and we plate it in gold and it looks good. It looks clean. The cross is nice. It's neat, right? And yet, that's not really what the cross was at all, was it? In fact, it was an instrument of torture reserved for the worst kinds of criminals. It was used for murderers and insurrectionists. It was intended to strike horror in the hearts of those who would, who would see a crucifixion. In fact, many Greek philosophers said it was not even polite to bring up a crucifixion in, in good company because of how horrific it was. It was considered beneath their conversation it's hard to think of a modern equivalent for this since we've largely done away with this kind of execution. Maybe you could imagine someone coming and telling you that God has sent a savior who was sentenced to death in the electric chair. Or God sent a savior and he died on a guillotine. He was, uh, head was chopped off. Or God sent a savior and he was, he was hung from the gallows. And maybe those things get closer to our modern sensibilities of the horrific nature of an execution, but these things are reserved for criminals. You look at somebody who said that to you, the Savior died in an electric chair, and you'd go, are you, are you nuts? I mean, what are you talking about? That's foolishness. God would not save with an electric chair. God would not save through someone culture perceives as a criminal. What horrible crime must this person have committed to deserve that end? That's unbelievable. And that's how we would respond. That's how the cross originally sounded to many who heard the gospel. Their yardstick told them that anyone who was crucified was a terrible person who probably deserved it and that God would never let that happen to someone who was really from him. And isn't that often our yardstick too? Even though we've cleaned up the cross and we made it a nice religious symbol, the cross represents weakness, pain, suffering, brokenness. And yet, when you believe in Jesus, God takes the broken yardstick out of your hands and he replaces it with the 
cross of Christ and he says, start measuring life with this. But we find it difficult to hold on to the cross. It's difficult because it's so opposite the values that we learn in our culture, in our society, and even in our homes. It's not shiny. It doesn't represent strength. It represents weakness. It doesn't look like victory. It looks like loss. It appears like failure, not like success. It looks like pain, not like pleasure. And that's not how we typically measure our lives or what we're seeking out of life. So sometimes we try to pick this old yardstick back up, even as Christians, and begin measuring people, our circumstances, and our lives with those old, broken yardsticks. And that's what Paul addresses in the passage we're gonna look at today, that you should measure your life by the cross. Don't pick up that old, broken yardstick, no matter how different you may appear to the world. Why should you measure your life by the cross? Well, the first reason Paul gives us is that it's the power of God for salvation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses, 1 or verses 18 to 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The message of salvation through a crucified Savior sounds foolish to many people. Those who reject it are perishing. With broken yardsticks in hand, they go around measuring their lives and their choices thinking that they're doing right, unaware that they are headed for judgment. And we might expect that Paul would say the opposite about the cross, that the cross is the wisdom of God, but he doesn't say that here. Instead, he says that the cross is the power of God. And this is the same thing that he wrote in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This week, you know that Russia began to attack Ukraine, NATO nations instituted all kinds of sanctions against Russia's economy and Russia's leaders. Nations are flexing their muscles. They're displaying their power in an attempt to gain more or in an attempt to protect what they have. But God is king. Psalm 91, 99, 1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Isn't it strange then that the king of the universe would flex his muscles of salvation and demonstrate his power, not with an invading force, but by sending his son to die on the cross. Who saw that one coming? Which king 
Which wise man, which prophet, even though they prophesied, like Isaiah, what was coming, understood what God was going to do in Jesus? That he would suffer, that he would die, that he would pay the penalty of our sin on the cross. No one understood that that's what God was up to. And that's what Paul says next. God destroyed the wisdom of the wise. He destroyed the strength of the mighty. Even as he said he would through the prophet Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Human beings are seeking the spectacular to know God. Jews sought signs to validate their faith. And Paul doesn't deny miracles. In fact, God worked miracles through the life of Paul, through his hands. But miracles are not the means of salvation. The cross is. The demand for signs rejected here is one where suffering is deemed to be incompatible with and, with and contradictory to the promises of God, especially in terms of a crucified Messiah, writes Tom Schreiner. We shouldn't think that suffering and signs are incompatible with one another. Jesus did many miracles, and his life led to the cross. And he refused to do any miracle that would lead his life away from the cross. As when the devil tempted him to throw himself off the temple so he'd be caught by angels and the crowds would worship him and he wouldn't need to go to the cross. Or when Peter said, no, Lord, you'll never die like that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for your thoughts are not the thoughts of God, but of men, of Satan. Jesus would not avoid the cross. Sometimes we wish that salvation meant no suffering. In fact, some people teach a kind of salvation in which Christians shouldn't be sick, shouldn't be weak, shouldn't be poor, but they should be blessed. They say Christians should be victorious, but they redefine victory by going around the cross. They take a detour around what God has done by purchasing victory through the cross of Jesus Christ. But the cross, Paul writes, is the power of God for salvation for those who believe, for those who are being saved. As long as we're waiting for the return of Jesus, we're in a process of salvation that requires that we live by the measure of the cross of Jesus Christ. Those who think that they've gotten beyond it have not. They've fooled themselves They've merely picked up another broken yardstick by which to measure their lives and call themselves successful and blessed. Greeks sought wisdom. They wanted to discover the goal of life for themselves. They sought salvation through their own minds. And this is a yardstick that we're often offered as well, aren't we? We judge ourselves and others based on our intellectual capacities and capabilities. Our culture exalts science as a means in and of itself, as an end, rather, a goal in and of itself. It's not that science is bad, but it can't tell you what's right or what's wrong. It can't be your savior. Your intellect and experience cannot climb so high as to reach God. He's made a way of salvation for you, but it's one that you would never have thought up. You wouldn't have dreamed it up. You wouldn't have imagined it on your own. It's a stumbling block. It's a scandal to those who seek a sign, and it's foolishness to those who believe they can be saved by their own intellect and their own strivings and tryings. But Christ 
is true power and wisdom because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Why should you measure your life by the cross? Because power and wisdom are the correct measures for life, but not your power and your wisdom, God's. And his power and his wisdom he displayed in the cross. Christian, do not think that you have moved beyond a life shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. God still shows up in humility and in weakness. Do not measure your life by a past in which you could not live up to the yardstick that you were given. You have been given a new yardstick, a new way to measure your life, which you received by forgiveness from God and freedom through grace and faith in Christ. And don't use a faulty yardstick to measure others. Don't be pulled into division by plays for power or attempts to protect your pride. Let your life be conformed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Division over personality, pride, and preference had entered the church in Corinth, and they were measuring their leaders and their lives and one another with faulty yardsticks. They needed a new measure to measure their lives by the cross of Christ, and so do we. It's the power of God for salvation. Another reason that you need to measure your life by the cross is that you were saved in weakness. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We could summarize this this way. You weren't so great in the world's eyes, but God still saved you, so why are you trying to look good now? God has chosen the foolish, the weak, the low, and the despised to shame those who the world considers great. Celebrity counts for nothing before God. Human power and wisdom are useless before him. Through the cross, he has chosen those who are the have-nots. The shame that Paul talks about here of the rulers of this world, it's not immediate. We don't see it right now. The world's rulers, their leaders, our celebrities, they're still gloried in in this world. But Paul is not talking about a shame that's immediately visible to our eyes. He's talking about the shame that will come when people realize that God has offered a way of salvation and they have rejected it because they thought they were more glorious than he is. He's talking about the shame they will feel when they realize that God offered them his own glory and they chose their own instead. God does not care for the power, celebrity, and glory in this world, and so he does not exalt Christians with that kind of glory. And this doesn't mean that 
celebrities can't be saved, doesn't mean that the rich and powerful are beyond God's grace, but even they must recognize if they are to receive salvation that they are have-nots before God if they're gonna receive that salvation. They have to humble themselves, but often they won't, and that's what happened at Corinth. The church was made up mostly of those who didn't measure up to the yardstick Christians or the Corinthians in their city typically used. And the problem was that they started to think of themselves within the church as super spiritual, and they were judging one another, including judging Paul. Based on their broken Corinthian yardstick, they forgot that God had given them a new standard and they were saved while they were still in their weakness. Have you forgotten that God saved you in your weakness? Have you forgotten that human measures mean nothing to God? Do you treat people differently based on their status in our culture? One warning I would give in this regard is relating to celebrity that's based in worldly standards. I've seen Christians rejoice when a celebrity comes to know the Lord because think of what that person could do for the Lord with their talents. And a couple of recent examples we could think of might be people like Justin Bieber or Kanye West. And of course, we should rejoice when anyone comes to Christ. But we don't rejoice as if God has suddenly gained a great asset to his team. He hasn't. He didn't need them. Doesn't need you. Doesn't need me. And their talent, in terms of how the world thinks of it, matters nothing to God. He has been perfectly capable throughout the 2,000 years since Christ was crucified of using the weak and worthless things of this world to save souls. And suddenly, a celebrity gets saved, and people rejoice because now God can really start to work. No, no. We should rejoice that their souls are saved, but we should be careful when we start to think that God somehow cares about the celebrity of this world. We should remember that God has been doing just fine with the weak and worthless, and if I'm reading his word correctly, he's not gonna change that plan right now. And this extends to the phenomenon of celebrity pastors and preachers in churches as well. We should beware that we do not adopt the measures of the world in the church. This isn't an excuse for being unprepared when called upon to serve, for being disorganized and calling it the Holy Spirit's work when really it was your laziness. It's not an excuse for offering less than the best of our gifts and our talents to the Lord as he gives them to us. Our gifts or supposed spirituality though is not the power of God. We must never think that God needs our gifts to work powerfully, nor that only the most polished, articulate, or talented can serve the Lord. The message of the cross is that we were not saved by celebrity, but by the cross. We are in Christ Jesus, and he is wisdom, and he is righteousness, and he is sanctification, and he is our redemption, and so our boast is just in the Lord, that he saved me by the cross. Where is your boast? In what do you delight? Do you delight most in the fact that God loves you, and he sent Christ to die for you? Or do you delight in power and performance? 
Do you delight in the esteem that other people show you? Or do you delight that God loves you even though you were not worthy of his esteem? Do you see that freedom from redemption comes through identifying with the cross of Jesus Christ and not from the strength of our world? Next, Paul reminds us and reminded the Corinthians of how he preached the gospel to them and how they believed. And he tells them, you should use the cross to measure your life because you believed based on the cross. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As we saw last week, some people didn't think that Paul lived up to the yardstick they were using in Corinth to judge leadership and speech. The philosophers and speakers that they were used to used a particular style, a flair, rhetoric to convince people, oftentimes being more concerned with convincing them of their arguments than the truth of their arguments. They would manipulate crowds and try to get people onto their side. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Whether it's the legacy media, whether it's social media, it seems like few are interested in the truth and most are only interested in what's going to benefit them. But Paul would not preach the gospel this way. It's not that he was opposed to honest, articulate speaking. He uses rhetoric in his writings, arguments in his letters, but he rejected speaking in a manner that would manipulate people and try to win them over whether it was true or not. Paul rejected speaking merely to please an audience, merely to tickle their ears. He was not a performer. Do you think that our preferences in the church are ever too bound up in the kind of performances that we enjoy? Do you think that our praise or our complaints about what happens in the church are ever just really about the kind of performances we would like to see and not so much about the power of the cross being expressed in the preaching of the gospel. Perhaps we're far too focused on that. Some in the Corinthian church were rejecting Paul because he didn't perform well enough. But when they first believed, they didn't believe because Paul performed. They believed because Paul preached. They believed because they heard the message of the cross and their hearts were transformed, but now somehow, They'd picked up another kind of yardstick and they were saying, oh, you know what? We kind of like this kind of performance better. Paul, and you don't really measure up to that kind of performance, but we would prefer that. And so we'll adopt speakers who will tickle our ears and we'll listen to people who will tell us what we want to hear and who will tell it in the style that we want to hear it. But Paul did not perform because he wanted the power of the gospel to remain in the cross of Jesus Christ and not in his ability And so this is probably what Paul means when he talks about his weakness and his fear and trembling. It's not that Paul had lost his nerve to preach the gospel, but that he knew he was preaching a message that was an affront to the Corinthians' yardstick. 
that didn't fit with what they believed. He was preaching the cross, and still, they believed him because God was gracious, granting them repentance and faith. He came not with the typical performance of contrived rhetoric and wisdom of the world, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power. And what does that mean? We usually read that and we think Paul performed miracles, but probably he did not in Corinth. In fact, if you read the accounts of the book of Acts that record when Paul was in Corinth, no miracles are mentioned. In fact, in this context, the apostle Paul tells us what he means by power. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of of God. So what he means was not that, pardon me, what he means was not that he put on a show. What he means was that he preached the cross and Jesus crucified. And through that preaching, God awakened faith in men's hearts, in women's hearts. We should measure our lives by the cross because we are being saved by God's power which is the word of the cross. Our faith doesn't rest on our preferences. Our faith doesn't rest on what we like, but on the power of God declared the gospel. And that's not to say we should be disorganized or unprepared, or even that we shouldn't give thought to the way we present the gospel. It does mean that we should remember that the power to accomplish the mission of the church is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and not in our preferred styles or personalities. And this is a helpful check on a modern church which is too often built on personality rather than on the power of the gospel. Let us not fall prey to that foolishness, but remember how we were saved. We were saved because of the word of the cross and how God powerfully applied it in our lives so that we could trust Jesus. You should measure your life by the cross because it's the power of God for salvation. You were saved in weakness. You believed based on the cross and because you have the mind of Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 16. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
Here's what Paul's saying when he says that you have the mind of Christ. The Corinthians thought themselves wise, but they were using the measures of the world. Or they thought themselves super spiritual, and they were trying to just kind of one-up one another in their spirituality, as we'll see as we continue through the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul says, that's not real wisdom. Sometimes in churches, we make out wisdom to be something that's like some extra revelation that God gives to us. And of course, God does reveal things. The word of God teaches us about gifts of wisdom and a prophecy. And we'll see those in the book of 1 Corinthians. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. In fact, what Paul is saying is that wisdom from God is not some mystery hidden behind a curtain that only the super spiritual can get into and see. It's not the haves spiritually that can see the wisdom of God. It's the have-nots. It's those who have believed by faith and trusted this, the word of the cross. Remember, when Paul says wisdom, he again, like power, is talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. He's not saying there's something beyond the cross that you can gain and you're more wise than the average Christian, which is a teaching that has too much circulated in the church that there's some further step you could take, something beyond what Jesus has done for you in the cross that makes you a little bit more Christian than the other Christians, a little bit more spiritual than the other Christians. I'm not saying there aren't levels of maturity in Christ. Of course there are. But what I'm saying is that those levels of maturity are not based on how far you've moved past the cross. They're based on how closely and tightly you cling to the cross. Your maturity in Jesus is not measured by, oh, I went through the cross and now I've got some extra thing God gave me, but how much has my life come to look like Jesus crucified? How much have I listened to Jesus' words where he says, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the wisdom that God gives. And that wisdom is available to you. Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. This means that the Holy Spirit enters your life and he takes the yardstick of the world out of your hands and he puts the cross of Jesus there and he says, when you're in the middle of temptation, wait a minute, don't use the old yardstick. Here, use the cross. It means that when you're in a conflict at work and you wanna assert your authority, assert your pride and make sure the other person is put in their place, the Holy Spirit comes and says, no, 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 wait, hold on. Take that yardstick out of your hands and here, use the cross instead. It means that when you're trying to make decisions about your relationships in the future and you're about to fall back into old patterns of how you treated people and old temptations, the Holy Spirit comes to you and he prompts you and he says, don't use that old yardstick. It's broken and sinful. Here, measure your life by the cross. That's the mind of Christ that Paul is talking about in this passage. And it's not available to the super elite Christians. It's available to anyone who has believed in Jesus and put their faith in the God who saves through the cross. We all want to appear wise, strong, and powerful. Nobody wants to look foolish. Nobody wants to look weak. And sometimes even Christians are tempted to pick back to pick up their old yardsticks and start using them to measure their lives once again. But don't do it. You should measure your life by the cross. It may appear weak and foolish to the world, 
but it is the power of God for salvation. And right now, you're in that process of salvation. Paul said it. It's those who are being saved. And that process of salvation means cling to the cross. Perhaps you're far along on that journey, but you're in that process nonetheless. Keep measuring with the cross. Or maybe you're just at the beginning of that journey that God is bringing you on and you're feeling temptation. Remember, you have the mind of Christ. And so when those circumstances feel overwhelming, trust the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life and measure your life with the cross. Maybe you haven't yet started that journey of salvation and today God is speaking to your heart because you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. And you've got this yardstick in your life by which you've been measuring your life. And you've been saying, I can't quite seem to measure up to save my own soul, to save myself. And you've been measuring your life and coming up short over and over and over again. Today what God wants to do in your life is he wants to take that yardstick and he wants to replace it with the cross because here's what Jesus has done for you. God sent his son Jesus to die for your sin, to die on the cross. He died by being beaten and being pierced through hands and feet and he hung there and he took the punishment of your sin because the wages of your sin, the broken yardstick you use to measure your life is death because you'll never measure up to God's glory in that way. But God did not wanna leave you there in that death and so he sent Jesus to die for you. And he did it so that he could take that yardstick out of your hand of the world and of sin and of Satan and he could replace it with the cross so that your life could no longer be based on how do I measure up to the world but based on Jesus has died for me. And God raised Jesus from the dead he raised him to show us that there's life in him and only in him. But you don't get to that life by taking a detour around the cross. You get to that new life by surrendering your life to Jesus and joining him at the cross and saying, Lord, I need to die to myself, to my past, and to my sin so that I can live not based on the ways that I've been measuring my life, but I can live based on how God measures my life through the cross of Jesus Christ by his grace. Today, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you can't do anything to earn it. There is no measure you can use in your life, no accomplishment that you can, uh, that you can gain that is going to make you worthy of God. There's just one thing, one measure that makes you worthy of God's presence. That is, have you joined Jesus at the cross? Have you by faith trusted Jesus' death as your own death and his life as your new life? If you've not done that, today, this morning, is the opportunity for you to do that. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for just a moment, if you would. Today, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, the Lord is speaking to you and He's telling you about the power of his cross, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ that delivers us from sin and saves us. If you don't know him and you wanna know him today, you can, and it looks like this. The scripture says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is, if you will confess that 
Jesus is the measure of my life. He's the Lord. He's the standard. He's the one who has the say. And you'll believe that God raised him from the dead. God will save you. He will take that old broken yardstick out of your life, out of your hands, and he will replace it with the righteousness of God purchased for you at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you want to begin that today, I'm going to ask you to do something simple and to make this your confession of faith. Would you right now just lift up your hand if you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus and you want to begin this morning by faith to put your trust in him, to call on God, to trust the cross of Jesus Christ, to stop trusting the measures you've used, all the ways you've tried to save yourself, that you have tried to measure up and be good enough. Would you trust God? Would you trust Jesus instead? If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Is there anybody like that? Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else? If you're watching online, you can just text the word HOPE to 413-300-6061. We'll respond to you via text as well. Is there anybody else like that? You don't have that relationship with God through Jesus and you want to begin it today. You want to know his freedom, his forgiveness. You want to know what it is to be redeemed by Jesus. Is there anyone like that? Anybody else? We're going to pray this prayer and if you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Make it your own prayer. And I just want to help you confess your faith in Christ and your trust in him this morning to confess that he is Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name I come to you and I believe in Jesus. I believe you, you sent him to die for my sin and I believe he was crucified to bear the weight of my sin. Lord, I have been running from you and I've used the wrong ways of measuring my life. Today, I pray that you would forgive me. I surrender that old way to you. I surrender my sin to you and I ask you for forgiveness. And I pray that today you would replace my sin with the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus. I want new life in him and I'm trusting you to give it to me by what he's done for me on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we rejoice for a moment with those who have given their lives to Christ today? Lord, we bless your name and we thank you. We rejoice for those who have come into your family today and we ask that you would continue your work in them. If you raise your hand this morning, please don't leave until we have an opportunity to talk to you. There will be some pastors and some prayer partners that will be here at the front of the sanctuary when the service is over. We would love the opportunity to be able to pray with you. Would you stand with me, congregation? Because we would like the opportunity to be able to pray with you as well. Perhaps in your life you would recognize that I've been using a measure other than the cross. Maybe you would say, and you're already a Christian, you, you, you believe in Jesus, but you'd say, I have, I've been measuring others and being judgmental and forgetting I was saved as a have-not. I was saved by the cross of Jesus Christ and not because I was good enough to earn something. Maybe you've been measuring people in the church that way. And you need God to, act, to help you to, to replace that yardstick with the cross this morning. Maybe... You'd say, I've been measuring my life that way. And even though I know I'm saved by grace through faith, I have been living as if I have to earn something. And I've been beating myself up because I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite earn it. And rather than depending on what Jesus has done in the cross, I have been, 
I've been trying to pin on myself. Give that to him today. Ask him today to remove that yardstick from your hands. In fact, if we could just have our deacons, deaconesses, pastors, prayer partners, if you would go ahead and make your way forward. We would love to pray with you this morning. If you've given your life to Christ, or if you would just say, I've been using the wrong yardstick. I picked it up where I should have left it. It was broken, and I should have left it on the ground, but I picked it up, and rather than the cross, I've been using that broken yardstick to measure my life again. We want to pray with you that God would help you to measure your life by the cross. And so would everybody just bow their heads for a moment. If you, if you have responded for salvation today, or you would say, I want God to help me to remember that the cross is the measure of my life. Would you just right now, without delay, just make your way forward so that we can pray with you. If you're sitting the Holy Spirit speak and say to you, you've been using the wrong measure. You need to measure life by the cross. Would you just make your way right now so that we can pray with you? Don't delay, you can come. This isn't supposed to be something shameful or embarrassing. It is supposed to be a moment of redemption, of liberation, and of freedom. Prayer partners, deacons, deaconesses, pastors, you can go ahead and begin to pray with people. If you still want to respond, please feel free. You can come. In a moment after the service is over, if you need healing in your body, you'll be welcome to come as well. We would invite you. We'd be happy to pray for you. Let's, let's turn our attention to the cross of Jesus right now in prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power and your wisdom. Lord, we so often have the wrong measure. We're measuring by our own standards and not by the cross of Christ. We ask that you teach us as believers in Jesus to cling to the cross. Help us to remember that it is your power. Help us to remember we were saved out of our own weakness. Help us to remember we were saved by the preaching of the cross and not by our own efforts or our own abilities. Help us, Lord, to rely on the cross of Jesus. Lord, today we trust you. We trust that your way is the right way and we give you our ways. Lord, we confess that sometimes we want to react with an old yardstick out of anger to defend our pride, to keep ourselves safe when you teach us to react based on the cross in humility and meekness. Lord, we confess that we sometimes measure our lives by the world's standards and we grow prideful when you want us to be humbled by the cross and rely on you. Help us, Lord, and teach us to rely on you. We look to you today, Jesus, and we pray that our lives would be shaped by the cross, that our preaching would be shaped by the cross, that our church would be shaped by the cross. We love you, Lord. We thank you for that, and we pray it in the name of your crucified Son, your risen Son, and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're still praying, feel free to continue to pray. If you have a need in your body, please come. We'd be happy to anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith with you, believing God for healing. Otherwise, have a great week. 
We will see you again. Go in God's grace and in his peace.